Good morning. Well, we are, I like this uh, new digital clock up here. Does it flash at me fast when I'm over time? <laughs> I hope so. Well, we're going to continue our study uh, today in the uh, life of New Testament characters. And this morning, we want to look at two New Testament women, okay? Uh, one was an activist, a woman of action, a perpetual whirlwind of activity. And the other was a woman of deep devotion, love, and worship. The difference between these two women became an irritation to the woman who was always on the go. Yet as strange as it may seem, the woman of devotion is memorialized in Scripture for her action. It's almost a riddle, isn't it? Who are they? Mary and Martha. Yeah. Mary and Martha. Two sisters who are completely different in their outlook of life, uh, their understanding of spiritual truths, and the expressions of love. How could two sisters be so different. As you know, I am the father of a multitude. <laughs> if seven children can be considered a multitude, then I am a father of a multitude. And as much as possible, Krista and I have tried to raise our children in more or less the same way. I won't say that consistently it was always exactly the same. The older ones will tell you that it's not. <laughs> But we've tried to raise our children without preferential treatment. We've tried to raise them equally. We've tried to raise them all fairly and treated them, treated them all fairly. I see it. I see it, Luke. <laughs> <laughs> tried to give them similar uh, spiritual input, you know, and so on. Many people think that if you raise children in the same family and you give them all the same input and you give them all the same experience that they'll turn out exactly the same way. And these are people who don't have children who say things like this. <laughs> How can two or more children be raised in the same household and turn out so differently? The fact is that Thankfully, parental input is only one piece of the puzzle. It's only one part of it, one slice of the pie. Each of us has his or her own will. And that's true. Each of us has different choices to make in life. And we receive input from our parents and from our siblings, especially if you're younger kids, you receive plenty of input from the older uh, siblings, and uh, from society and from friends and from circumstances and our environment and our life experience. All these things are unique to us as individuals. And so two sisters can really be raised in the same household and turn out completely different. But let's bring it a little closer to home. Every believer here this morning is my brother or my sister in the Lord. We are children 
of one Father, God. We receive more or less the same spiritual input every week. We attend the same Lord's Supper every week. We pray together at the same prayer meetings. And we all have the same opportunities to grow as each other. And yet we're all different. We're all different. Some grow and become quite fruitful in their lives. And others really are dying on the vine. Why can two brothers and sisters or a multitude of brothers and sisters turn out so differently when the same input is available to all? Well, you know, there's something that takes place in the heart that has a profound effect on the, on the way we love the Lord and the way we grow in the Lord. And I hope that we can appeal to your heart this morning. Jesus paints a picture for us in an illustration he told once of two men who owed another man a lot of money. He owed him a lot of money. One man, it says, Jesus said, owed 50 denarii. I don't know how much that is. I look it up every time that I come to those, those coinages and those money things in the Bible, and everybody I look at says something different. But it was an amount of money. So I'm going to just say it's $3,000. It might be more than that. It could be 50 days worth of work. Okay, So let's just say it's 50 days worth of work. It's a lot of money. How would you like to owe 50 days worth of work to somebody? It's a lot of money. But the other guy owed 500 days of work, 10 times as much. Okay, that's like two years worth, a year and a half. My math's not real good. Okay, but it's a lot of time. It's a lot of money, a lot of effort. So let's just say it's 10 times, I mean, it is 10 times that much. He owed 500 days worth of work. Well, the neat thing about this story is that the man they owed money to promptly forgave them both. So you don't, don't owe me anything. You're debt free. Woo! <laughs> That's great. Can you imagine the feeling of owing somebody 50 days worth of work and being set free from that? Saying, you don't owe it anymore. You're free. Wow. But imagine being the guy that owed 500 days worth of work and being set free from that debt. Which one, Jesus said, would love the most? Yeah, it's an obvious answer. Which hands the marble in? Okay, it really is. The guy who owed the most would love the most because he had been forgiven the most. Of course, he was relieved of his debt, and it caused him to love the one that had relieved him from so much debt. Jesus told the story to illustrate two people. One was a woman who was a known sinner. She had a reputation in town, and it was not pretty. She knew about her sullied reputation too. And she knew that she was a sinner in the sight of a holy God. And when she learned that her sins, which were many, the Bible says, could be forgiven, she enthusiastically loved the Lord for forgiving her her sins. The other guy in the story actually had probably been forgiven just as much. But he didn't appreciate it. In fact... Jesus used the illustration of the 50 
and the, and the denarii in the 500 to, to illustrate a point. When we sense our sin before God and we realize what we deserve, that we deserve to be in hell for all eternity, that we should be burning in the lake of fire that never ends, and we realize that God has saved us from that and He has saved us to Himself, wow, what a debt we have been forgiven. That's a lot more than 500 days worth of labor. How can we hold back our praise? How can we hold back our love for Him, the one who loved us so much? I want you to go down memory lane with me for just a minute. And I want you to think back of when you first heard the gospel. Think about that. When you first heard the gospel. Some of you were raised in a Christian home, so let's change the illustration slightly. The first time you understood the gospel and you saw yourself as a sinner before God and you feared that if you were to die at that moment, you would go to hell, and rightfully so. Do you remember at that moment how sweet the words of the gospel became in your ears? How wonderful the news that Jesus Christ had died for your sins. How wonderful the news that He could take your sins and remove them from you. How wonderful to know. I can remember a lady saying to her, Sandra, you were there when we talked to, to Debbie. And we, said, we talked about how... Um, Her sins had been removed from her as far as the east is from the west. And I've used that illustration over and over again with other people. How far is the east from here? It goes on forever. It's a straight line. How far is the west? It's opposite direction in a straight line. It never ends. And God is saying that He has taken our sins and He has removed them from us as far as the east is from the west. How great a salvation is that? We are forgiven such a debt. Do you remember the first time you heard that gospel news? That story? And you believed? How wonderful. Lord, I would do anything for you for what you have done for me. My response would be to give you my heart, my life, my all. Nothing held back. Lord, what a wonderful Savior you are. Remember certain verses. But God demonstrates His love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. As many as received Him, to them He gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in His name. So it's not just that my sins are forgiven, as wonderful as that is. That's great. But He has adopted me as His Son. And He has given me all the rights and the privileges of of an adult son. And that I am an heir of God. A joint heir with Jesus Christ. I am His child. Wow! Salvation to the next level. (laughs) Wonderful, wonderful news. You know, I think of words that are used in the scripture cleansed forgiven 
set free, justified, sanctified, glorified, all for sinners deserving hell's fire. Do you love him? Do you love him still? Do you love him still? Do you still love Jesus as much as you did that first day you believed? Has he grown sweeter to you each day? Or has Jesus become a bit of a bother to you? Are you just as devoted to him now as the first day you believed? Or has your heart grown cold towards him? Are you lukewarm in your love for Jesus? The one who gave himself for you? You know, I've been here at Calvary a long, long time. I was here the very first day we met, ever since that first Sunday morning. And I've had the privilege of watching as God has worked in the lives of most of the saints at some point or other. I've watched on as the Lord has saved you. I've watched on, and the Lord has actually given me the privilege, privilege of leading some to the Lord. Wonderful to see it. And I've seen the, the thrill and the joy and the excitement of when people first trust the Lord. But I've also been here long enough to see how some hearts have grown cold to the Lord. For some, it happened quite soon after their profession of faith. And it's noticeable because they've grown distant to other believers. Ah, believers, you can kind of take them or leave them. But you know, when we say that, it's really a reflection of our relationship with the Lord. If you don't love believers whom you have seen, how can you say you love God whom you haven't seen? John asked that question. For others, the coldness of spiritual winter has kind of come down upon your heart. It may, be, it may begin with just missing a meeting or two, What's wrong with that? I've got things to do. Then you stop praying with us. Then you stop seeking God altogether. Then there's the absence at the Lord's Supper. Do you know that the Lord actually only gave us two uh, ordinances? That's it, two. They're so simple, too. One is that we are, when we believe the gospel, we are to be baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And most of you who are professing believers have done that. The other ordinance of the church is really just as simple. And that is, on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples. And then he took a cup and he drank from it and he gave it to his disciples. And he says, this do, this do in remembrance of me. He knows our heart. And he knows how forgetful we become. And he knows how sin can cause our hearts to grow cold towards him. And so he has instituted the Lord's Supper as a very simple means of keeping our heart warm towards him. I don't understand why churches celebrate the Lord's Supper once a year. I don't understand why they do it sometimes once a month. 
I don't even understand when I've gone to other churches and at the tail end of the last hymn, they say, oh, by the way, this is the communion, uh, the, the communion Sunday. And they say, uh, let's just pray right now for it. That's it. That's their worship. Their worship is simply, a, oh, yeah, he told us to do this. Let's go ahead and do it. All right, fulfill that duty. Let's move on to the sermon now. I don't understand that. We actually celebrate it every week. And probably that's not enough because our hearts still grow cold. But the Lord said, do this in remembrance of me. And uh, week after week, by our absence, what are we saying? I will not remember you, Lord. I will not do this in remembrance of you. I will not remember the Lord. I will not remember what he has done for me. Lord, I've got too many other things on my plate. Sad, isn't it? Our hearts that were once filled with love. When you saw how sinful you were and you saw what the Lord Jesus Christ did for you to save your soul, that we can't even give Him the time of day once a week. Wow. Jesus said, you know what? It's better for you if your heart were hot or cold. But don't let it be lukewarm. Don't be neutral towards Jesus. Be either hissing hot for him or be totally cold, but not somewhere in the middle. Be honest about where you are. I wonder if the Lord were to visit planet Earth again, if he would ask the same question that he asked in the garden after Adam and Eve sinned. Adam, where are you? It's not that the Lord didn't know. The Lord knew full well where Adam was. But he came seeking. He came looking. And, and the Lord is ever the seeker, ever the, the one looking for sheep that have gone astray. And he's calling you back and he's saying, come unto me. He'll carry you on his shoulders. Where are you this morning in your fellowship with the Lord? If you're saved, I know what your relationship is. You're saved. Once all, saved, always saved. But what's your fellowship with the Lord like? this morning where are you where are you who has captured your heart have you succumbed to the chill of your spiritual environment you know um i think it was in malachi malachi is preaching to the children of israel and um they were in that kind of condition spiritually in their hearts and they say oh the table of the lord what weariness it is What a weariness to serve the Lord. What a weariness it is to come and offer to the Lord. We're sick of it. You read it and it's almost shocking when you read it. What do we think in our heart about the church? The meetings of the church? Oh, what a weariness to get up on a Sunday morning. I'm too tired to come out to worship the Lord. It's just too much effort to seek God. I'm burned out, too burned out to care. Anyway, what has the Lord done for me lately? You ever think like that? Well, we're all brothers and sisters. We're all in the same family. The same input is available for all of us, and yet the outcome is so different. The outcome is so different. It was true of Mary and Martha, too. Well, let's get to the passage. Mary and Martha lived in the town of Bethany with their brother Lazarus. Bethany was a a little town. 
It was set on the, uh, the hill of um, about a mile and a half from Jerusalem, maybe a mile and a half, two miles southeast of Jerusalem. The name of the town means the house of unripe figs. Okay. But it was also known as the house of misery. And I think the reason for that was because of where it was located. Uh, it was kind of a lonely, secluded place. And because so many disabled people actually chose to live there, including lepers. Mary and Martha and Lazarus had a home in Bethany. And it seems that whenever the Lord was in Judea, that's where he made his home in the home of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. It seemed to be a place where Jesus loved to be. I remember when Chris and I were married, Bill McDonald prayed at our wedding, and I specifically remember him saying something uh, in that prayer. He said, Lord, let the home of Don and Chris to be like the home in Bethany where Jesus loved to be. I thought, wow, that's really good. Let my home be like the home where Jesus loved to be. Is your home like that? A place where Jesus likes to be. Do you open your home for hospitality? Welcoming in a place where the saints are welcomed and encouraged and sinners can learn about your Savior? Hospitality really is a way. It means love of strangers. It's a way to show love for strangers. Is your home like the home in Bethany? So the members of that home are Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, a brother and two sisters. I just want to look at the women today, Mary and Martha, and we'll look at Lazarus um, uh, in a couple of weeks. So let's take a look at Luke chapter 10. And um, beginning with verse 38. Luke 10, 38. Now it happened as they went that he entered a certain village and a certain woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was distracted with much serving and she approached him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Therefore, tell her to help me. And Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things. But one thing is needed, and Mary has chosen that good part, which will not be taken away from her. Well, Martha is named first because she's the one who welcomed Jesus into the home. And then we quickly learn that Jesus, I mean, it's, there's almost no transition here at all. She welcomes in the home and boom, Jesus is there teaching. It's great. So Jesus comes into their home and he uses it as an opportunity. He's an invited guest. He uses it as an opportunity to teach the word of God. You know, it is really appropriate to turn mundane conversation into spiritual conversation in your homes. It's an art, but I would encourage you to practice that art of turning the mundane into spiritual um, many settle for idle conversation and th- instead of that which is eternal. It seems that we know more about current statistics of uh, football and 
hockey and basketball and uh, baseball and all those players, we know more about their stats than we do about Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But we can change the conversation, and I would encourage you to do so. Time with each other actually could be quite profitable if we spent it uh, enjoying the Word of God. The Bible says this in Psalm 19 about God's Word. It is more to be desired than gold, yea, than much fine gold. It is sweeter also than the honey and the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned, and in keeping them there is great reward. That's how Jesus used his time in the home at Bethany. And Mary sat at his feet and drank it all in. He heard his word. That's the position of a learner. Do you know something? I've noticed something in life that we all pursue that which we think is valuable. Whatever we think is valuable, that's what we pursue. And Mary saw the value of learning all that she could at the feet of Jesus. And she pursued it with a passion. To her, his words were more precious than gold, sweeter than the honey and the honeycomb. Martha, on the other hand, looked on at Mary sitting at Jesus' feet and it irritated her. It really got under her skin. She's idle. She's just sitting there. And there's all kinds of work to be done. They had guests. They had dinner to prepare. Uh, the, the table had to be set. The dishes had to be put out. The floors needed to be vacuumed. I don't think they had vacuums then. The house needed to be tidied up. There was so much to do. And she, she was a busy woman, Martha. A little help would sure be appreciated. Here is Mary just sitting there idly listening to the words of Jesus. And there is so much to do. Listening to Jesus. There would be all kinds of time to do that later, after the work is done. But right now, she just needs to get up off her seat and help in the kitchen. She needs to help get ready because we have a guest. His name is Jesus. Martha fretted and worried about all the details of everything that needed to be done. And there was precious little being done by Mary. And after all, Martha was serving Jesus, wasn't she, by making the meal and preparing the house and getting everything ready for him? That's way more practical than just sitting there listening, don't you think? And so, as Jesus is speaking, and he's teaching from the Word, and Mary is drinking it all in, Mary, Martha comes in and blurts out, Lord, don't you care? that I'm alone in the kitchen taking care of everything for the household here, and she's just sitting here listening to you. Tell her to help me. (laughs) She ruins the whole day. Wow. Lord, do you not care? Twice that is said in Scriptures. Do you not care? Does the Lord care? Yeah, He cares. What a question. Has it been on your mind? Lord, don't you care? Maybe, you've, maybe you have responsibilities here at the chapel. I'm going to... Sorry if I trample on people here today. I'm not trying to be a trampler, but that's what happens. Um, you've got responsibilities here at the chapel. You take care of kitchen duties. Maybe you take care of the nursery or the Sunday school or teaching or preaching or shepherding or deaconing. Is there such a word as deaconing? Okay. 
There is now. Okay. And you've been faithful in all that you've done. You do all these things faithfully. But as you go about your duties, do you look down your theological nose at those that aren't quite as busy as you are? And say, hey, would you please get up off your seat and help around here? There's all kinds of stuff that needs to be done. Come on already. Serve, serve, serve. I think the Egyptians said something like that. More straw? No, you get the straw. Make the same number of bricks. Something like that. Um, no one seems to be quite as industrious as you are, right? Some of you are really honest. I appreciate that. Perhaps you complain to the Lord like Mary did. Lord, do you not care? Look at me. Look at how I'm serving you. Don't you care? <clears throat> Excuse me. Don't you care? Or perhaps you don't take it to the Lord, but fill your home with complaints instead. Wow. Do you see them? They never help. They're always just take, take, take. Never help, help, help. Lord, don't you care? We need to be careful that we don't use ourself as the standard of measure of what should be done and shouldn't be done in the assembly. Compare ourselves to other saints. But Martha not only set herself as the standard by which she measured her sister, she complained to the Lord, do you not care? And she was really rebuking the Lord for him not caring enough to say, hey, let's stop the teaching right now. Mary, get up and help in the kitchen. Wow. Has that question been on your mind too? Here's the Lord's gentle rebuke though. Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things. Mary really found the most important thing in life. She found what is valuable and she pursued it. And that is the Lord himself. He is the only one who is that valuable. And she was pursuing him. Mary sat at his feet. She listened to him. What is, what is it that is so important in your life that Jesus is crowded out? What are your worries and troubles that drown out the voice of Jesus? Lord, don't you care that my job is the most demanding job in the world? At least I think so. It's more demanding than... Any job my brothers and sisters have here, I've got the most demanding job. I'm important there. And, and the whole place would fall apart if I wasn't there. They couldn't live without me. I must go in early. I must stay, at, stay there late. Lord, don't you care about how busy I am? I know you've given me a spiritual gift so that I could minister to the saints, Lord. But have my brothers and my sisters do it for me because I'm just too busy right now. Have them help me by taking my responsibility. Lord, don't you care that I have to go to school right now? Don't you know how hard it is for me? Don't you know how difficult it is to get good grades in our education system today? I mean, they're not even teaching me properly. I could be teaching the class. I've got to prepare and study for tests. I've got to write papers. I've got to get up in the morning and get good grades. Lord, don't you know that I work harder than anyone else in my class? And it's really, really important for my success in life that I do well in school. 
I know I could be growing in my spiritual life right now, but there'll always be time for that later. You know, like the others, when, when I have a job. Really. Lord, have someone else fill in for me. Lord, don't you care that I'm in sports right now? And the competition is fierce. I've got to succeed if I'm going to get on the team next year. My stats are riding on how well I do. And I've got to go to practice. And I've got, or I'll be cut from the team. Don't you see how important that is? I've got time, I haven't got time for fellowship with the saints because this is a once in a lifetime opportunity. And if I miss this, I may never get into the pros. I got news for you. You probably won't anyway. I know I could be winning souls for you, Lord, but I don't get a medal for that. Let someone else save my, my friends from hell. I've got a competition to win. Lord, don't you care about all the work that I'm doing in serving you? I open my home for fellowship and for hospitality. I'm up to my elbows in ministry. And most of it is hidden, behind-the-scenes kind of ministry nobody even knows about. Don't you see the hours that I put into this assembly? The way I reach out to the saints? The way I serve in little ways and in big ways? Just look at what a fine job I'm doing, Lord. Lord, can't you provide some help? Don't you care that others aren't serving like me? I'm going to have to go to the doctor. Hurting my back. Hurting my arm. Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about so many things. But one thing is needed, and Mary has chosen that good part, which will not be taken away from her. Is it possible that even your service for the Lord is actually crowding out the Lord himself? You know, the Lord did not rebuke Martha for serving. That wasn't his argument. He wasn't saying don't serve. And we could preach a month of sermons on service. There's all kinds of verses on service. So don't use this passage and say, great, I don't have to serve at all. Look at what it says. It doesn't say that. Don't read into it what it's not saying. But there's something far more important than service. And that is your fellowship, your relationship with the Lord and your love for him. Mary chose to sit at his feet and listen to his words. Mary was different than her sister Martha. Raised the same way, probably received the same input all their lives long, but her entire outlook of life, about life, and, and the Lord is totally different than Martha's view. Well, next time we see Mary and Martha after this passage is when Lazarus, their brother, dies. And we're going to save that story for a couple of weeks. Then after the death and resurrection of Lazarus, we see the women together again. They're still in Bethany, and it's about a week before Jesus is to be crucified. There's a man in town. His name is um, Simon the leper. Simon the leper. Obviously, Jesus had already healed him of his leprosy and had invited him to his house for dinner. This story is told in three of the Gospels, in Matthew, Mark, and John. 
Luke tells a very similar story, but it takes place in a different town, a different time, and with different people. They sound similar, and when you read them, you go, oh, they're all the same. No, they're not. So when you do your Bible study, it's always good to, com- to look at passages that seem like they're the same and make comparisons. Make sure that they really are the same or they're not the same. See what similarities there are. See what the differences are. And it may surprise you how much you might grow in, in your understanding if you do that. Uh, so the passage we want to look at today right now is Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12 and verse 1. Then six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus who uh, Lazarus was who had been dead, whom he had raised from the dead. There they made him a supper, and Martha served. What did I say? I'm sorry. Yeah, it's not in Luke at all. Like I said, always compare. Thank you for your help. So uh, John 12, we'll start there. Then six days before Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus, who had been dead, whom he had raised from the dead, there they made him a supper and Martha served. Are you surprised? There she is working again. But Lazarus was one of those who sat at the table with him. Then Mary took a pound of very costly oil of spikenard, anointed the feet of Jesus, and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. Then one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, who would betray him, said, Why was this fragrant oil not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? This he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the money box and he used to take what was put in it. But Jesus said, let her alone for she has kept this day for the day of my burial for the poor. You have always with you always, but me, you do not have always. So as I said, there, the two other places where this is found is in Matthew and in Mark. And there's a couple of little nuggets that we gain from those other passages that I'll bring in as we as we talk about this account. In Matthew's account of this story, we learn that this event takes place not in the house of Mary and Martha, but it actually takes place in the house of Simon the leper. So Mary and Martha and Lazarus and Jesus are all invited over to Simon's house. And it's interesting that even there, Martha's busy serving, busy serving. Um, It says, there they made him a supper, and Martha served. Now, it's not wrong that Martha was serving, but there is a major difference between what the sisters do here. She's busy serving, taking care of the temporary needs um, of those who are there uh, in their midst. But Mary, I believe Mary had thought about this day and thought about this dinner for, for quite a while. She had something very precious to her. It was a family, no doubt it was a family heirloom. It was in an alabaster uh, um, container, very expensive container, and it was oil of spikenard. And this oil of spikenard, a pound of it, 
uh, is very, even today, oil of spikenard is very expensive. But in those days, it was worth, what she had, that pound of spikenard was worth 300 denarii. That's basically equivalent to, again, more or less a year's salary. Okay? So she has this spikenard, a year's worth of salary, and this is premeditated. I can tell you that. Okay? It's premeditated. Because she comes to somebody else's home with it. And she has a plan for that uh, spikenard. The oil was traditionally used to anoint people of high honor. And it was being saved in this alabaster flax, uh, flask for some special occasion, some special day. Likely, it was used and it was, it was measured out in very small amounts because the fragrance is quite strong. A year's wages. In her heart, she knew that Jesus was going to die. She knew that he was going to die. How did she know that? Because even the disciples didn't seem to know it. How did she know it? Jesus spoke many times about his upcoming death and burial and resurrection. And for those who had ears to hear, they heard it. And she was one of them. Remember, she sat at Jesus' feet. And she listened to what he said. They heard the words, but it went in one ear and right out the other. Typical guys, you know. She listened. She listened. In her heart, she purposed to anoint his body at the tomb. But her love for the Lord could not restrain her giving. And she thought, no, I'm going to give it to him now while he's alive and he can enjoy it. In her love for the Lord, she worshipped him with abandonment. She took the flask and she broke it. Now, in Matthew's gospel, we learn that she broke it and poured it upon his head. Here in this passage in John, we read that she poured it out on his feet. And so it seems to me that what she did was she first poured it out upon his head. And then she poured out the remaining portion of it on his feet. And then she took her hair and she swung it around. I I, I know I don't have it. It's kind of hard to do that illustration, but you get the point, right? (laughs) Believe it or not, when I was a young teenager, I used to be able to do this. And it would actually flip, okay? But all beside the point. She took her hair and she went to his feet where she poured out the, the oil on his feet. And she wiped his feet with her hair. Paul tells us that a woman's glory is her hair. And it was as if she was saying, this is my glory, and I lay it at your feet. That's what she did to the Lord Jesus. So, Paul, yeah, we said that. Uh, The act of worship, um, as she poured out this fragrant oil, the, the... Fragrance from this oil filled the home. No question about it. Filled the home with its uh, fragrance. And that fragrance, the fragrance of that act of worship, we still enjoy to this day, as we even tell the story this morning. Mary did serve the Lord, but her service was a kind of service that was total abandonment to the Lord. It was without thought of personal cost. 
Mary was saying by her actions that Jesus is worthy of everything, of my heart, my life, my all. We sing about it. We read about it. But Mary did it. Mary worshipped the Lord. What is Jesus worth to you? Is Jesus worth a year of your salary? Wow, that's a lot. Yeah, it's a lot. She didn't seem to have any trouble with it. Is he worth dedicating a year of your life to him? 40 hours a week, 52 weeks for a year. Is it worth offering the Lord a year of your life? What is Jesus worth to you? It's what it cost Mary. And she didn't hesitate for a moment. Like I said, it was premeditated. She poured out her gift upon the Lord. But those who watched this act of worship, as she worshiped the Lord with total abandonment, they despised her for what she did. They looked at the alabaster flask and they smelled the oil of spikenard and they said, what a waste. What a waste. A waste. Sadly, this comment came from those who should have known better. It was spoken by the disciples. Now, in the passage we read, Judas was singled out. But in Matthew, it actually says that the disciples, plural, ouch. It seems to me that um, Judas is singled out probably because he's the instigator of the comment. He probably started the comment. What a waste that this should be poured out. And they all joined in. It's amazing that those who should have known better would be carried away by such a thoughtless uh, a comment by Judas. He disguised his disgust for this worshiping woman by saying her gift should have been sold and the money should have been given to the poor. In John's Gospel, John is quick to point out that Judas said this not because he cared about the poor. He cared about the money. Man, if we could just sold that, that money could have gone into the pot, and I take about 10% out for myself as we go, I would have had a pretty healthy uh, little pocket full of change there. Be careful who you listen to. Even among those who should know better. Judas did not think Jesus was worthy of such sacrifices. In fact, he betrayed him for pennies on the dollar in comparison. Jesus quickly defends Mary's actions and said that she had done a good work for him. I like that. She was anointing his body for burial, something that other women wanted to do, but they couldn't because by the time they got to the tomb, Jesus had already risen from the grave. So she was the only one who really got to anoint his body uh, before his burial. She did a good work. And the Lord, here in this passage, memorialized Mary's act of worship for all eternity. And here we are, 2,000 years later, talking about it. What an act of worship. And he said that wherever this gospel is preached, this story will be preached right alongside of the gospel. Wow! (laughs) Talk about taking a person's worship and raising it to the next level. Was that gift ever elevated? Oh, and by the way, that complaint about how the money should have been spent, should have been used, we can still do it. 
we still have the poor with us. That's what Jesus said. She has done this work. She, she's anointed my body for burial. You always have the poor with you. So if you were concerned that this money was wasted, don't worry. You can still reach into your pockets. You can still reach into your purse, into your wallet, and you can give to the poor today because they're still with us. They're still here. Plenty of opportunity to show how much you care for the poor. Mary and Martha, two sisters. Two sisters. Martha's epitaph may read something like this, that she was worried and troubled about so many things. Maybe her tombstone reads something like, just one more thing to do, one more thing to do. Mary's epitaph may read that she worshiped the Lord with all her heart, all her soul, all her strength. What will my epitaph read? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for including this story in in your word that uh, we can read about these two sisters who probably had very, very similar input all their lives long, and yet their response to you was so different. Lord, I confess that so often my heart is like that of Martha's, busy and anxious about so many things. And Lord, you want us to be true worshipers. And Lord, we just pray that you would turn our hearts towards you, that you might fill our hearts, fill our vision in everything that we do and say, Lord, that you might be everything to us and that we might be willing gladly, Lord, to give to you our hearts, um, our souls, our everything. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.